So we're in preparations for, for, for a little baby, right, that's getting ready to come into this world. But there, there are some things that are taking place politically on a global scale that we need to be aware of. Okay, and so just this week, uh, what 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 the president of the United States did by declaring Jerusalem, acknowledging it as the capital of Israel. Yes, there's a stirring. Yes, there's a, people are backlashing. They want to, you know, whatever, whatever. But the fact of the matter is that everyone worldwide has always recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And something took place back in 1948 that fulfilled prophetic, uh, biblical prophecies, prophetic utterance that, that gave us a timeline to know the time and season that we're living in. And how appropriate as I, as I wrapped up those group of messages in regards to staying alert, staying alive, discerning the times and seasons that we're living in. And you speak to any believer, you speak, you, uh, you speak to any non-believer and ask them, you know, what times are we living in? And they'll tell you Armageddon. It's, it's the last, you know, we're in the last days. Yeah, you're a non-believer. You don't even read the Bible. How do you know that? Oh, you know, and they'll, they'll cite stories. They'll cite news articles. And I would love to be able to come in here this morning and, and, and tell you that I've got this beautiful Advent message, um, which I believe I do, but I have to lay down some groundwork first. And, and so I'd like to just talk to you this morning. Is that all right? Can I, can I just pull up a chair and talk to you? See, because this is like one of those seasons that it's like Harvest Fest. You know, when Halloween came around, not a big proponent, not a big fan. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not a fan of Christmas. The idea of it, the acknowledgement that Christ was born. Christ, the historical figure of Yeshua, was born. He came. But he came, he came to die and to live again, paving the way for us. But why do we celebrate on December 25th? What is it about, you know, this, this, this time and this season that we're in? And if anybody who just about anybody can do some research, we'd know that, um, Christ wasn't born in December. Way too cold for shepherds to be tending flock on the field. It would have been more towards March, April, not, not December. So, so why do we, why do we hone in on December? Why, why is it that we, you know, uh, uh, traditionally take, begin to take these festivities and become a part of it? And, and what does it all mean? Trees and Santa Clauses and, and decorations and lights and all of this stuff and hoopla of, of buying the best of the best and, 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 you know, the pressures of Amazon and, and UPS not delivering and what are we going to get and what are we going to buy and who are we going to fulfill and fill the space underneath the Christmas tree. So if, if we're mature enough, Look at your neighbor, tell them, I'm mature enough. I, I, I titled this message, Christmas Taboo. 
And, and so I want to read it now a little bit um, from, from, from the history, a little, a little history. As, as, as we prepare, and here's, and here's my heart, family. Um, no catchy cliche, no real smart, you know. I always try to come up with something fun or that's going to rhyme. But, but we, as a body of believers, not just in this church, globally, the universal church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be preparing, not, 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 not for the coming of a little baby to be born in a manger. We need to be alert and aware that he's coming again. Just as he wrote in his scriptures, he's going to fulfill those, those, those prophecies. But, but when he comes the second time, he's not coming as our redeemer. He's not coming as the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He did that already. He's coming back as king and judge. He's coming back upon a white horse. Upon his thighs written the names of who he is. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And he's coming to pass judgment. And for all of those that had opportunity and rebelled against them, they have their place along with the fallen angels, the demonic forces in the lake of fire. And so we need to really, really understand where our preparation ought to be. Amen? Now, believe it or not, Christmas predates Christ. It's an ancient holiday. The middle winter has long been a time of celebration around the world. Centuries before the revival of a man called Jesus, early Europeans celebrated light and birth in the darkest days of winter. Many people rejoiced during the winter solstice when the worst of the winter was behind them and they could look forward to longer days and extended hours of sunlight. Ain't that the truth? Huh? <laughs> Come on, everybody's looking for spring. Um, in Scandinavia, and here, here's how we're going to start tying in some of these traditions. In Scandinavia, the Norse, they celebrated Yule from December 21st, the winter solstice through January, in recognition of the return of the sun. Fathers and son would bring home large logs. They would set on fire. The people would feast until the log burned out, which could take as many as 12 days. The 12 days of? The Norse believed that each spark of the fire represented a new pig or calf that would be born during the coming year. That's where we get the Yule log, Yuletide. The end of December was a perfect time for celebration in most areas of Europe. So the Europeans, at that time of the year, most cattle were slaughtered so that they would not have to be fed during the winter. And for many... It was the only time of the year when they had a supply of fresh meat. In addition, most wine and beer made during that time was finally fermented and ready for drinking. So, so what a great time to feast and drink and be merry. In Germany, people honored the pagan god of Odin. During the midwinter holiday, Germans were terrified of Odin as they believed he made nocturnal flights through the sky to observe his people and then decide who would prosper or perish. And because of his presence, many people chose to stay inside, right? And so, so the Germans, they, they would like kind of stay in and celebrate inside and not come outside out of fear. Here's the big one. 
Here's the big one. Saturnalia. Saturnalia. S-A-T-U-R-N-A-L-I-A. I I see uh, some of our scholars taking notes. I figured I'd spell that out for you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) In Rome, in Rome, where winters were not as harsh as those in the far north, Saturnalia, a holiday in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture, was celebrated. Beginning in the week leading up to the winter solstice and continuing for a full month, Saturnalia was a uh, hedonistic time of pleasure, of flesh. And food and drink were plentiful and normal Roman social order was turned upside down. So for a month, slaves would become masters. Peasants were in command of the city. Business and schools were closed down so that everyone could join the fun. Also around that time of the winter solstice, Romans observed Juvenalia, a feast honoring the children of Rome. In addition, members of the upper classes often celebrated the birthday of Mithra, the god of the unconquerable sun. On December 25th, it was believed that Mithra, an infant god, was born of a rock. For some Romans, Mithra's birthday was was the most sacred day of the year. And so here we have a little bit of history. Part of the fun part of, of, of reading that history, when they turned the world upside down, and so then the peasants, and so then the poor people would actually go and knock on the doors of the rich people and would demand the choicest of foods. And so then the rich people then would take it upon themselves at that moment in time to feed and and be able to bless. And that was that time that the, the more affluent then took their turn to bless the less fortunate. And so that they would come around and they would knock, they would demand to feast and eat of the choice breads and meats and all of that sort of stuff. And and if they were ever turned away and locked down, then then they would turn around and 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 uh, um, uh, unleash mischief to to the homeowner. I guess that's where that whole toilet paper stuff came out and the 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 uh, <laughs> the shaving cream and stuff. So. I hope I didn't put a wet blanket over your Christmas. It's important to know our history, and it's important to know what we're celebrating and why we're celebrating. Family, I'm not saying that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. The fact of the matter still remains that this season is the season that people are most open, most susceptible, have ears to hear because everyone is kind of jiving in the same frequency. And so why not take this opportunity? Why not take this opportunity to be able to exalt the name of Jesus? Speak the truth of who he is and why he came. His birth isn't as important as his death. As a child, he was a baby. But as a man, he was obedient to the father to the point of death. Blameless, without sin, without reproach. And so I want to challenge you as a church not only to, to walk in the light, 
to walk in truth and understanding what's taking place, but so that you're not led astray by the hoopla and the hogwash of the media and the marketing and the commercialism of what Christmas and what they're trying to sell it to be. Let's hone in on who this baby child is and what it was that he came to do. So we who know the truth ought to capitalize on this season. And although most people are ignorant to the meaning of the season, most are open to a dialogue with its regard. So my job is to equip you to better be able to have and carry a discussion regarding Yeshua HaMashiach. The facts that Jesus was born, he fulfilled prophetic utterance, he suffered without guilt, accused and condemned without a trial, and on the third day, he defeated the grave, just like he said he would. He is Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. Look at someone and tell him, Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my savior. Savior. Messiah. Hamashiach in Hebrew. Translated, the anointed one. Anointed. In Judaism, the expected king of the Davidic line would deliver Israel from a foreign bondage and restore the glories of its golden age. And for the most part, Jews were looking for some sort of political leader, someone that would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans, a military force that would fight flesh. However, when you take the title Habashiach and you couple that with his name, Yeshua, then we have a clearer picture of who he is, Yeshua. Hamashiach. Bless you. Jesus. The proper name used in the English language originates from the Latin of a Greek name, Isus. Isus. J isn't even a part of their alphabet. So whenever we, you know, we speak of Jesus or Jehovah, we're not, we're not really speaking even the right name. Isus. Is, is Yeshua in Greek. Yeshua is with a Y. Yahweh is God's name as he revealed it himself to us. I am that I am. He is Yahweh. You wouldn't even be able to say that name because it held such holy utterances. Isus, a rendition of the Hebrew Yeshua and having different variants as Joshua or Jeshua. You know what Yeshua means? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And so Yeshua HaMashiach means Yahweh, the God the Father, saves by an anointed one. And so then the proper title for Jesus Christ, or more properly, Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. I used to, I used to, you know, giggle sometimes because I used to talk about, you know, Jesus Christ and be like, yo, yo, preacher man, yo, why his last name be Christ? (laughs) 
And I'll be like, no, no, that's not his last name. Yo, but his name be Jesus Christ. Like, why they call, you know, what family was he from? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Christ is the title. It's, it's, it's a Greek word from Christos. Yeah, but if it's Greek, wasn't he a Jew? Yeah, well, it's Christos because it was translated from, from the actual, you know, Hamashiach. And so, you know, you go through the whole process, but we, as, as his children ought to know that Yeshua was the name given and, and Christos is, is his position, his title. See, because since, since the fall of man, at, at the very inception of rebellion with Adam and Eve, God spoke a promise. He spoke a promise of something that was to come. He, he gave a decree in Genesis 3.15. And as we can put that up, he gives us, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. A spark of hope in the darkest of moments. An answer to the problem. A solution to the dilemma. God gave a messianic promise that would set in order his creation and free us from bondage, but not from foreigners, if not the bondage of our sin. He would set us free. In fact, some scholars suggest that there are over 300 Messianic prophetic scriptures written and completed in the life of Jesus. Now you think about prophetic utterances being fulfilled in the life of one individual. Well, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, what's the mathematical probability of that? Huh? Circumstances that any one individual could not manipulate or coerce. Birthplace. How can, how can you manipulate the place that you're going to be born at? Unless you're, how, how can, how can you, how can you manipulate the lineage that you're going to come from? Who's your father, grandfather, great grandfather, and so on? How can you possibly manipulate that without even being born yet? How, how could you, how could you, how could you manipulate the fashion in which you will be executed? Huh? Death, we're, we're, you can't avoid the inevitable. We're all going to die. But unless, 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 it's, unless it's something that someone takes it upon themselves, such as suicide, how can you manipulate the time and place of death? You can't do it. Can't do it. And so clearly, Jesus fulfilled certain things that were outside of or beyond his control as a man. The fact that Micah, 700 or 620 years before the birth of Christ, wrote, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Huh? Fulfilled in Matthew 2.1. He, he would, he would be born of a virgin, written in Isaiah 750 years before his birth, as Isaiah 714 writes, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
750 years later, the Gospel of Matthew is recorded in chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, and that means that before they knew each other in the biblical sense, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Why is that important? Son of David shows lineage. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. I mean, what he came to do is in the very title of his name. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God with us. It's all in his name. As we're preparing and we're entering in this season, I want us to get a good grasp of who Christ is. This central figure, historical figure, and the things that he did. And if those two weren't enough, how about the fact that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. Genesis 12.3, Genesis 22.18, fulfilled in Matthew 1.1 1, 1 and Romans 9.5. The fact that the Messiah would be a descendant of Isaac in Genesis 17.19, Genesis 21.12, fulfilled in Luke 3.34, that he would be a descendant of Jacob, that he would come from the tribe of Judah, that the Messiah would be heir to the King David's throne in 2 Samuel 7.12.13, Isaiah 9 and 7, fulfilled in Luke 1.32.33, Romans 1 and 3. The fact that he would be anointed and eternal the fact that the Messiah would spend a season in Egypt in Hosea 11.1, 1, fulfilled in Matthew 2.14. A massacre, a massacre of children would happen at the Messiah's birthplace, Jeremiah 31.15. A, a messenger would prepare the way of the Messiah, Isaiah 43.4, fulfilled in Luke 3.36, with John the Baptist saying, I prepare, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, hallelujah. Messiah would be rejected by his own people declaring in Psalm 69 fulfilled in John 1 11 that the Messiah would be a prophet in Deuteronomy 18 15 fulfilled in Acts 3 20 that the Messiah would be preceded by Elijah in Malachi 4 5 and 6 fulfilled in Matthew 11 13 that the Messiah would be declared the son of God in Psalm 2 7 Matthew 3 16 fulfilled that his would be called the Nazarene that he would bring light to Galilee that he would speak in parables messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted that the messiah would be a priest after the order of melchizedek that the messiah would be called king that he would be praised by little children that he would be betrayed all of these things were written hundreds if not thousands of years before his birth and all fulfilled in the image and life of one man <laughs> hallelujah 
in the book of Science Speaks. It's the title of the book. Science Speaks. Peter Stoner and Robert Newman discuss the statistical improbability of one man, whether accidentally or deliberately, fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. Just eight of them. You, you, there are over 300. I've got, I listed just 44 that are, I mean, are to the T. Like to the T. There's no abstract. There's no, eh, well, you know, that can be hit and miss, you know, because some prophecies are, you know, and the hair will go back and yet, yeah, well, Eh, what? This is, this is to the T. And so, fulfilling just eight, just eight of the prophecies. The chance of this happening, eight prophecies to be fulfilled in the life of one individual. The mathematical probability of that is one in ten to the seventeenth power. So if you take ten, and put 17 zeros behind it. One in that number. Just to fulfill eight. Nevertheless, the 44. Stoner gives a little bit of an illustration that helps visualize the magnitude of such odds. I'd like to share that with you this morning. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars. Silver dollars. And we lay them on the face of Texas, the state. I'm not on a map. I'm talking about you can take these silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas, on the floor, on the floor, and just begin to lay them out. You'll have enough silver dollars that will cover all of the state two feet deep. Now, if you were to mark one of these silver dollars and stir up that whole mass thoroughly, all over the state, lay him out, lay him out all over the state, and then blindfold the man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes. As far as you could go, you could go. We're going to put a blindfold. You just walk up until the point where you just want to, right? And tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar. He's got to stop at any spot, stop, and pick up that silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What's the chance that he would have of getting the right one? It's impossible. Impossible. Just the same chance that the prophets would have of writing eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man. From their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. What we have in the word of God is truly inspired by God. And he let us know the things that he was going to do before he did them. He gave us a manual and that is his signature upon his book uh, outside of any other thing. Why do we, why can we trust the Bible that we would stake our lives upon this book? And it's because God reveals himself through his prophetic utterances, telling you and declaring, I am the Lord your God, telling you the things to come as the things before. He lays them out. The mathematical improbability of 300 or even the 44 that I just described to you 
stands as evidence that Jesus is our Messiah. As we, as we gather around our fires and as we gather around our feasts and our gift givings, let us be wise. Let us not lose sight of what it is that we're celebrating. You know, the rest of the world wants to take this time to celebrate our, the birth of our king. Let, let us celebrate the birth of our king too. But let's not just do it on December 25th. Huh? How about we celebrate the birth of our king every day? Every day that there is breath in our lungs, that there is strength in our backs, every day that we have an opportunity, let us celebrate the birth of Yeshua HaMashiach. Understand that he is the one that saves and came to free us, not from the oppression of our adversaries, but from the oppression of our sin. That the things that, that drive us and, 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 and compel us and, and, and weigh us down no longer have an effect. That I can have a clear conscience. That, that, that I can go to sleep and, and be at peace because the Prince of Peace has carried the weight and the burden of my sin. I'm free. And I could tell you, family, that there was a time when I thought I was free. And I was more bound and gagged. True freedom, true freedom comes in the acknowledgement and in the forgiveness of our sins. That our conscience can be wiped clean and clear. Oh my God, that the weight that we carry upon us no longer is a burden and that we can live out our lives and reflect the one who created us in Jesus name he is our Christ he is the Messiah and he came to set the captives free show me that advent video because this is now what we want to See the light coming through the window? That's just the, the light of the Lord just, just, just coming in and illuminating the dark places that were once interior and bringing it to light. Oh, I'll find the sermon in anything, bro. Don't even tempt me, bro. <laughs> to spiritualize that, my brother. <laughs> we don't have a video? It's not important. Don't worry about it. We got technical difficulties. Here's my question to you, church. Do you know him? Do you know him?